Are you ready? Ready to release internal pain? To find confidence, clarity, and direction for your future? To live a life of meaning, fulfillment, and contribution? To trust your intuition again, but something's been holding you back? You've come to the right place. Welcome. I'm Ian Hawkins, the host and founder of the Grief Code podcast. Together, let's heal your unresolved or unknown grief by unlocking your grief code. As you tune in to each episode, you will receive insight into your own grief, how to eliminate it and what to do next. Before we start, I have one request. If any new insights or awareness land with you during this episode, please send me an email at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com and let me know what you found. I know the power of this work and I love to hear the impact these conversations have. Okay, let's get into it. Giuseppe Joe Nasty was one of the best chefs in Italy before he moved to Australia in his early 20s. And this story is a story of how the really bad car accident to his mum and dad drove him from an early age to want to make money to help his family to be the father and how that drove him into becoming an incredibly gifted chef by necessity in a way took him on an incredible journey to within touching distance of having a um, world recognized restaurant to Australia to start again, rebuild, and now makes the most incredible sourdough that you'll ever taste, building his business and how all of the different challenges like moving to another country, we don't speak the language of going through the ups and downs of life and still having a passion, not only to connect with people through food, but also to teach other people how to do the same. Such a feel-good chat, this one. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. My guest today, Giuseppe Joe Nasty. Nasty? Nasty? I know I probably pronounced that all wrong. No, no, perfectly, perfectly. Nasty. I'm very well, thank you. What about you? Very good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, you are so welcome. I'm a a foodie, so I, I love the fact that I've got a chef on. Yes, you do. <laughs> Before we get into your story, tell us a little bit about some of the magic that you are doing now. It just looks like the most amazing bread I've ever seen. Oh, stop it. Thank you so much for the compliments. Uh, I'm a very passionate sourdough baker. Uh, I was a chef for 22 years. I started at the age of 14, actually 23 now because I'm 37. And of course, being Italian and living with the family that comes from the south of Italy, food was culture, food was love, was passion, uh, working Monday to Friday just to enjoy a Sunday meal with the whole family, sitting at the table for five to six hours. So it was insanely amazing for me. And all these memories I tried to replicate and bring them into my kids, my family, you know. Um, I was a chef since I was 14, started working in uh, on the coast of the Adriatic Sea in Europe, just across my hometown. And slowly moved into more uh, fine dining environments because I was attracted by Michelin star restaurant, you know, high end, high end uh, hospitality and yeah. uh, reading, reading, studying, 
And at the age of 20, at the age of 22, I became a father. So I had to stop learning from others because I had to start earning more money. So uh, I had to learn everything by myself through books, courses, and YouTube. And that was my main source of uh, knowledge and practice. I practice, I'm self-taught. At the age of 24, I was uh, one point and a half away from a Michelin star, which was wow. pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I, I competed as one of the 10 youngest chefs in north of Italy. Um, in 2011, I became the best chef of my town. And then in 2012, I decided to move to Australia. <laughs> and start everything from scratch again. Okay, so you've you've mentioned a couple of big moments. Um, yeah. Firstly, congratulations! What a career at such a young age. I want to I want to come back to the uh, inspiration for that. But yeah. I know that anyone who has had to change countries and Australia is mm-hmm. full of people who have uh, migrated here. Yeah, it's well well. There's reasons why you come here. There, there's always that tie to home, right? So how mm-hmm. did you speak any English when you came? No, no, I've learned everything here by reading, wow. listening to radio. Uh, the first two years I worked in an Italian restaurant, so it was very hard to, to yeah, learn yeah. fast because I wasn't involved in the language, let's say, 14, 16 hours a day. Uh, as soon as I started working in an Australian restaurant, in a two-hat restaurant on the Mornington Peninsula, uh, ten, it's called the 10 Minutes by Tractor, where there were only English-speaking people there. Uh, they was the moment where my English improved. I started I started understanding different English accent. I started understanding yeah. jokes on the radio. I started understanding jokes on the TV. It was just, uh, I, I was loving it, you know. It's like yeah. uh, probably for a, a baby started walking. It was just a different yeah. part of my life now. And, um, yes, I enjoyed I, it very much. I can very much hear the Australian twang in your English too. Do you? Yeah. yeah. You'd be surprised. My mum is from England. And yeah. at the age of six, she started putting books in front of me. And because I was doing a full-time school, I said, Mom, I don't want to study at home as well. I study already school. I don't want to speak yeah. English. Stop it. So I regret <laughs> the fact that I could have been a mother language. English would have been mm. my mother tongue as well, my second one. And I did. But eventually I've learned it anyway. And I tried to apply myself to speak it uh, the most correct and uh, try to write it the most correct that I do, that I can. Uh, it's difficult. Sometimes I wake up in the morning and my, th- my tongue doesn't work because there's a big difference in speaking languages. It's all happening in your mouth and how you move your tongue. This is something that I've learned by, you know, trying to not forget Italian, but trying to speak English the best way I could. Yeah. Fascinating. Mm. So what, what inspired you? Well, was was it by force? Like, what what was the motivation to to come to Australia? So, at twenty years old, I met uh, my ex wife, and uh, her father uh, lived in Australia for sixteen years. Yeah, and uh, we were living at their house in the ground floor, and in the ground floor there were all these pictures of Australia, boomerang, kangaroos, koalas, uh, wombats. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And all these things, so I basically probably visualized it so much that I felt compelled to to try and go to Australia. So one day I go to work, I go and drink my morning coffee like I usually used to do, and, and this guy comes to me and saying, "Have you thought about going to Australia?" And I said, "Yes, multiple times." Well, I have a friend <laughs> that lives in Melbourne, and 
owns a couple of restaurants. If you want, I can put in touch with him. So a couple of days later, I contacted this guy in Melbourne. And, um, and six months later, I was in Melbourne. Wow. Did you have to convince yeah. your – were you still with your uh, no, wife? Yeah, I was still with my ex, yeah. yeah. Uh, we have been together at that time for 2012. It was at least four or five years. And we recently divorced two years ago, almost three years ago. So uh, we've been together a long time before we divorced. But yeah. she wanted to go to Australia too because we both wanted to give more opportunities to our children. Mm. It, it says a lot for the power of having those visual cues, right? People talk about oh, absolutely. And, absolutely. and visualizing. Yeah. Yeah. It was so subconscious. And now I know what was happening because of time. Yeah. And- after you know uh, and and now i can see how they worked into my subconscious to try and reach that path yeah it reminds me of a some travel i did and and uh we got off a boat in greek islands and we followed this old lady to her house and there's those moments where you know middle of the night you're thinking is this our last night on earth sort of feeling we wake (laughs) up and, and we are in a place called hostel sydney and there's the same yeah. thing there's all the australiana pictures and everything and it turns out that her yeah. sister was living in australia and and it's yeah it's a, it's amazing we have this huge world but but everything sort of condenses in those moments so yeah so when you came here how much of a culture shock was it no language oh, very different no culturally how did you go with that well i don't know i felt uh... Very out of place at the beginning, yeah. but because I was working in Italian restaurant, I was still involved a lot with my culture. Like uh, on the weekends when I wouldn't work, I would hang out with people that were from work that were Italian. So we will create our own Italian community at home. So it didn't yeah. feel like out of place. But as soon as you go out, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you see all these people drunk on the streets, especially young kids wearing nothing in winter. If us Italian, it's See, like Italy in winter, you wear a coat, a very heavy coat because it's cold. In Australia yeah. in winter, they're all naked. I couldn't believe it. I said, how can you wear that? <laughs> Barefoot. Yeah. Uh, it was, that was the shock for me. That was most yeah. of everything. That was the shock, you know, the cultural, yeah. a kind of uh, careless in a positive way. Yes. Yeah. We live it's, today. Um, I don't worry about tomorrow. Yeah. And more important to look good than to be uh, practical. Absolutely. Well, they're actually expressing food as well. Oh, interesting. Yeah. The fact that Australians are attracted to food by the sight, then the taste. Oh, interesting. something that that will work amazingly in Europe right now. So if I would go to Europe right now and would apply the marketing skills that hospitality businesses imply into their businesses in Australia, I would be probably one of the most successful businesses in Italy. Because they're not doing it yet. They don't do it that way. Right. You know, if we make a sandwich and we put it in a cabinet, we don't expose all the ingredients because the Australian need to see exactly what's in the sandwich. We make sure that the sandwich is the best you can possibly have. Right. Make sense? Yeah. Yeah. But of course, if you go into a fine dining, fine, fine dining restaurant in Italy is completely different because at that level of hospitality, like we're talking three Michelin style, three hat restaurant, the level is very similar across yeah. the board, across the whole world. Yeah. So everybody will try to reach that high level 
or skills, knowledge, and motivation to. It's like saying I love soccer, football, and yep. uh, of course, it's like saying chefs uh, in the first ten position of the world best restaurant are like Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, at the level. Got it. Yeah. Mm. Great analogy, and oh, I'm, a, I'm a sports nut too, and I imagine uh, many of yeah. the listeners would be, so that's a good one. Yeah. Uh, it's really fascinating. I'll have to dig a bit deeper on that around the visual side of, of Australia, yeah. and, and that was the first thing I said to you, right? I've never tasted your sourdough, but those videos, yeah. they, they Exactly right. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yeah. Well, I put a lot of pride in it because uh, I really make sourdough with love. Yeah. Uh, my yeah. grandfather... Giuseppe as well, I carry his name, Esper Tradition, was a yeah. baker, but I never had the chance to meet him. So uh, I remember my dad telling me in my 20s, yes, one day you will open a bakery. And I would say, no, I hate baking. Uh, and he would kept saying that, you will open a bakery. You'll see, I come and work with you because I used to work with your grandfather and I loved it. No, we never open a bakery. I just want to be the best chef I can ever be. Uh, impossible to be. No, no, you, you have to open a bakery. I hated it. Just the fact that he was telling me that, I was very upset. You know, when you are with parents, when they try to tell you to do something, you always go against them. But uh, eventually, something clicked, and I found out that I love baking sourdough products more than I love cooking. So wow. I gave up on my career as a chef to pursue a career as a baker. Mm. But I don't regret any moment of my chef career because I believe I'm such a good baker because of the skills that I acquired as a chef. That makes sense. Uh, I imagine, again, just the visuals of what you create now, attention to detail, mm -hmm. uh, technique. Uh, yeah. I, Creativity. Yeah, yeah. And for those who have seen any of your work, and if you haven't, make sure you check out the show notes for, for Giuseppe's links, uh, that he shows a lot of his kitchen and, and it looks like you've set that up. It's very perfect, right? Like it, it just looks like an amazing place. Well, as, uh, I've always been fascinated by trying to create my working environment the most efficient as possible. And so I'm trying to tweak every week, move the bench around, move the machineries around, just to try and find the best, optimal, most efficient way of producing the bread. Because business is growing. And yep. uh, which is a wonderful thing. Plus, I'm working full time in another bakery. So, really? uh, yes, so I work wow. 40 hours, 45 hours in a bakery, and then all the rest of the time I bake in my bakery, produce content, uh, accounting for my own business, bookkeeping that I hate all those numbers, <laughs> but we need to do it. Uh, yep. And kids on the weekend because I'm divorced. So, I have to look after the kids as well. I mean, that's a pretty intense life, but I wouldn't like it any different. And I appreciate you making the time to to chat with me, given what you've got going on. And and knowing what it was like for me when I was working full-time and starting my business, the same yeah. thing. I wouldn't have it any other way because I know where I'm heading and I know yeah. what's going to be on the other side of that. Oh, man, that's awesome. Absolutely. So, you mentioned before we jumped on that there was, there was a big moment, right, like, yeah. So 2016, mm -hmm. you said it, it, it got to the point where you felt trapped in your career, but there was also uh, some challenges with your health. So, so uh, what, was, what was the biggest of the two? Was it the health issue that was the challenge or was it actually the, the career part that was causing you the most uh, negativity? 
Well, uh, I always was a very ambitious person. Okay, always yep. very ambitious. Yep. Uh, ambitious uh, in sport, in uh, in work, in my career, and uh, unfortunately, the fact that I had moved to Australia cut uh, my wings a bit. Yeah, because uh, I was on the on the verge of becoming known in Italy as one of the youngest, most uh, Inf- not influencing, but emerging young chefs, promising yep. chef, let's say promising chef, with the chances of becoming one of the best, uh, because not because I say it, but because I've been selected as one of the 10 youngest and most uh, talented chefs in north of Italy, and I competed there, and I arrived second with other two people. Um, so the people that judged the food were saying that. Uh, yeah. And people also that will come, like the most beautiful thing is when you have the legends of your town, chefs of your town coming to eat in the restaurant that you are working wow. in as, a, as yeah, the wow. head chef. They come in the kitchen, they shake your hand and say compliments. That was the best meal I had. Wow. And when you had head chefs that are 60, 70 years old and come and tell you that, it just uh, there's nothing better, you know? Wow. Not even, uh, yeah. you know, $100,000. It's because that's what you do it for. When you love something so much, you do it more for the admiration than for the rewards. Yes. Actually, the admiration will become the reward, I think. But yeah. in 2016, I was feeling trapped because I was working in an environment that I wasn't happy with at that time. And uh, I was overweight. I wasn't sleeping enough. Uh, I was in trouble with my ex. I was trying. I wasn't happy with the way I was being as a husband, as a father, because I was dedicated too much to my work. But the work wasn't giving me back what I wanted from my professional career. Yeah. So I decided to to start pursuing a different uh, kind of health journey. So I started training for taekwondo, uh, martial arts. Uh, I started. I started a fasting of twenty five days in a row. I, was, wow. I didn't eat. I didn't eat anything for twenty five days, and it was the most amazing time of my life. Hang on, uh, hang on. This is this is a chef that that depends yes. on tasting everything. Exactly. And uh, I imagine you love that. Like things must have got pretty pretty down if that's where you're headed. Yeah, it required a lot of discipline and motivation, and to be focused on the main goal. The main goal was to lose weight, to detox, to to get rid of all my parasites in my intestine, because I did a lot of research of whatever it's in your body. You know, for some years that you can't get rid of it unless you fast, unless you detox. Uh, I was, and I saw results instantly. I basically lost twenty two kilos in twenty five days. Wow. And, and I was the healthiest I ever been. I was doing taekwondo once a week. I was training. I was playing soccer every Wednesday for two hours with a group of mates. And, and I'm not a person that just shows up. I'm a person that I'm playing soccer. I want to win it, so I give a hundred percent of what I got. Yeah. Uh, and then I was also working. I was running three restaurants at the time as a head chef in Melbourne, and uh, I was commuting from Mornington Peninsula. I don't know if you are familiar with Victoria. Yeah. Yeah, so Mountain Peninsula, I was living in Rye, that's near Sorrento. And yep. uh, I was catching, the, I was driving until Franks, uh, to Frankston and from Frankston catching the train to work. So it basically would take me two hours to get to work and two hours to come back 
home. Yeah, wow. So I will wake up at 3 a.m., I will meditate for 20 minutes, and I will leave, I will go to work, come back, train, fathering, kids, wife, you know, all the stuff. But fasting opened my mind, opened my mind to things that I wasn't aware of, you know, personal development. So I started researching, I started reading all books about how to improve your own life, how to improve your scope of knowledge and consciousness, um, spiritual books, uh, food books, uh, love books, uh, philosophical books, uh, anything. Think and Grow Rich from Napoleon Hill or Humans from another Hebrew writer. Uh, what else I, uh, I wrote? Uh, I, I read so much that I can't remember all the titles, but if I have to say a few books that have changed my life, is definitely Think and Grow Rich from Napoleon Hill. Um, and then I loved uh, the biography of Sir, Sir Alex Ferguson. Yeah. It really, it really showed me how you know managing skills are important in life in general um yep. tools of titans from tim ferris uh, revolution from russell brand uh, a, a lot like i started i started downloading books every month every month from audible and just listen multiple times a month to the same book because yep. and now i'm just going back to the books that i used to read and read them at least 10 15 times yeah and you get you get a different meaning a different learning out of yeah. when you go back, back to those books after you've grown more right I have, absolutely that's exactly what i was about to say it's yeah. uh it's insane how different the book is if you wait five years and read it again yeah yeah mm. it's a like wow. different writer yeah because your consciousness is different your life experiences are different and so you see things that before you never saw so as simple as it sounds you don't know or you don't know yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so uh, searching for this uh, knowledge and wisdom made me understand also that I know nothing. So the more <laughs> I learn, the more I want to yeah. learn. Yeah, it's insane. So there's that um, there's there's that pie graph, and it's got the the one percent what you know, yes. and then it's got like five percent of what you know you don't know, and then it's mm -hmm. like the rest of it's like what you don't know that you don't know. And exactly. it's amazing how many people are out there claiming how much they know when the reality is we, none of us really know, right? We, there's this, we're only scratching the surface. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, but, you know, I, it's a, I think, I think humans in general, and this is probably controversial, but I like to state my opinions think that we are so powerful that we are in charge of changing planeta planetary events <laughs> when we are such a tiny creature in the large scope of universe. So universe, the further away it is, the fastest is moving, the fastest is expanding. Yeah. You know, so how can yeah, we yeah. be so relevant in such a small, you know, number in universe? That's what that's, I think many times. That, that's a whole other uh, philosophical discussion. That absolutely, one. absolutely. I, I wanted to. I wanted to ask a question, right? About the fasting. Yeah. So you've you've just come from a place where food is every part of your life, right? It's yes. it's part of family. It's part of community. It's part of what mm -hmm. you're doing for work. 
how did you find this concept of fasting and what were you searching for at the time? Like, was it like looking back in hindsight? Yes, you said you were carrying more weight, but were you also missing fulfillment? uh, Uh, Absolutely. Meaning? Absolutely. Well, I've always been, I remember I, I posed my question to myself since I was six. And this question that I asked myself is, why are we here? as humans and i remember i would ask this question to myself to adults every single time that would come to my mind since the age of six so i think that translates into a wonderful book as well man in search of meaning you know and and we all are in search of meaning it could be our own meaning it could be a general meaning it could be you know a secular meaning and uh I think it was fulfillment, yes. I wasn't fulfilled in my relationship. I wasn't fulfilled in my in my career at that time. I was very weak as well as a man in general. Hmm. Uh, now that I've read different books on masculinity and, uh, you know, be become a, a tough man, become a man, what a man should be, I've understood what I, what I was lacking, what I was, you know, lacking as a man than my wife, uh, that if I broke up, I'm aware that it's partially, probably mostly my fault. I wasn't the man that was uh, in charge of the relationship, you know. I was mm-hmm. providing, yes. I was at home when she requested me to be, but I was too condescending. I was doing too much of what she wanted and not enough of what I needed to do for myself, for my personal growth. Because by growing personally, you will be a better provider for your feminine, for your wife. And even though she will complain about you not being at home, she will appreciate the end result because you are fulfilling your purpose in life. And that's what I wasn't doing because I wanted to make her so happy that I would try to do anything to please my career hunger but also try to be try to make her happy, and it didn't work. So uh, I think yes, fulfillment is one of the things. And through fasting, I probably have discovered that I could do things that I didn't expect I was able to. You know, fasting for twenty five days is tough, especially yeah. when you are around food. And I was testing everything, and not to break my fast. I was pitted in the bin. Whoa. Even if it was delicious. <laughs> you know? Oh, can't it was tough. That. Yeah, no, yeah. So I was only drinking teas, uh, water, black coffee, and then I quit coffee because I've discovered it wasn't too good. So, yeah, mm. I was just trying to get the most. And the most important thing, I did all of this because I want to live the longest I can possibly can. Oh, that's good. Uh, yeah. Oh, there's a few things there I want to unpack. Just coming back to what you <laughs> said about being a man, uh, two things. The first I would say is um, not not fault, right? Like yes. you were being the man that you were being based on what you'd learned. Yeah. You're yes, doing the best exactly. that you could at the time. So rather than it being about fault. But what you described there is something that for the men listening and, and those sort of married to men. Yeah. It's it's important that that men do don't spend all their time just 
trying to keep people happy. Like that that concept of happy wife, happy life yes. to me is such a nonsense. It's right? wrong. It's like yeah, yeah, yeah. No, become happy first, right? So yes, so, absolutely. So what? Where did that eventually come from? Was it was it the because when you fasted, suddenly you had a clarity of thought that allowed you to mm-hmm. see things differently? Yeah. Or like what came first? Uh, you can't put a date on walking first because everything unpacks together. You know, you start meditating and so you reach within. You start breathing, you slow down. You exercise, endorphins are distributed into your body. So yeah. it's a lot of components. I can't just say, oh, this one was the for sure the thing. No, but fasting was the motivation that gave me the strength to believe in myself, most likely. And this unpacked me to research into different topic. And maybe one book will speak about a topic and then I will be curious and search for that topic. And then another topic will come in another book and I will research for that. And then I, because you search on this, on this stuff on YouTube, YouTube algorithm will show you something that you liked already. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And yep. it's like, and at, that, and at that time, was I thought it was the law of attraction showing me what I needed because I was requesting it. But no, it was yeah. just YouTube algorithm giving me what I liked before and just providing to me. So I was bombarded by this uh, personal development uh, content from every single side of social media. Yeah. But at the end, I've learned a lot. So I'm not regretting yeah. any second of that. And uh, if I had the knowledge that I have now, my marriage would have not broken up. I don't know. Because my ex and I are quite different. I'm very ambitious. I come from poverty, chosen poverty because my dad was a gambler. Um, yeah. No necessity poverty. Yeah, he had yeah. a wonderful job, beautiful family. It just couldn't stop gambling. Uh, and that probably makes me so money driven as well, other than career driven. Yeah, right. yeah. So yeah. I want the business to be able to be financially free one day to, to show my kids that everything is possible from zero. And maybe one day influence other people around the world, you know. I think a bread is a vehicle to show people that everything is possible. If you believe, if you apply, if you work hard. And uh, my work ethic, I find someone, I find hard finding someone that works as much as me. Yeah. And, and wow. this is not a challenge with anybody. This is because I want to make it. I don't want to die with the regret that I haven't done enough to achieve my dreams. Love that. So, uh, Giuseppe, I, I wanted to touch on the the fasting element. My my mentor ten years ago yes. talked about forty day water fasts. So yes. they were literally just having water and salt. Yeah. And what they said was a couple of things that really stuck with me. One is you can survive off that. Yes. The biggest challenge for people is the fear, and people dive out not because of anything else, but they they start fearing and they're hearing all the outside noise from people telling them they're crazy and all this sort of mm-hmm. stuff. But the other thing was the transformation the body goes through. And insane. and there's some really challenging physical side effects, but also mentally. Mm-hmm. But on the other side of those challenges, it's like euphoric. Was that the experience for you? Absolutely. As I said to everybody, I never felt so strong, so clear mentally. Yeah. So in tune with myself, so aware, the awareness of everything that was happening about, around me was increased by a hundredfold, easily. 
Yeah, wow. my, my, my sensation, my feelings, everything was just incredible. Yeah, I until you don't try it, you don't understand what I'm talking about. One thing yeah. that you understand after 15 days, it's that food is nothing. <laughs> Your, that's when I started believing in spirit, in the soul in something yeah. else feeding your body. You know, the body and the soul are separated. And that's yeah. what you understand when you're fasting. How come my body became fitter, stronger, more athletic? And I wasn't eating. Wow. Like, how is that possible? You yeah. know, I rejuvenated. My, my skin looked younger. Like, it was incredible amazing yeah. my um, need for sleep diminished oh fascinating yeah uh i think about the um that uh in the bible the 40 days and 40 nights and they're talking yes. about i'm like oh maybe they were doing water fasts and there was just a uh analogy <laughs> well <laughs> in the desert in the, the desert Muslim. right yes if you think of the muslims the islamic people they do that once a year they do mm. an intermittent fasting because they eat in the dark. Ah, uh, yeah. Ramadan, right? Yes, Ramadan. Yeah. But uh, instead of fasting, it's like intermittent fasting now. So that's what I'm practicing now. And a couple yeah. of three, probably last month, I did a five-day fasting. But this time was very challenging, especially mm. the last day. The last day. Because mentally, I forced myself to do it. I wasn't ready mentally to do it. I forced myself to do it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Can I can I take you back to those very young years that you talked about at the start? Yes. Everyone's backstory has somewhat uh, some pivotal moment, right? That that mm -hmm. that has us coming to life. So, what gave you that inspiration from me such a young age? What, can you can you remember? Is there like a, a moment? There yeah. is there is one day. Uh, it was in August nineteen ninety four. I don't remember exactly the day, but I was at the beach with my auntie, my brother, my cousin, my uncle. My grandma was at home. My mom and dad went on a pilgrimage, uh, St. Anthony in Padova, which is a town near Venice in Italy. And on the way there, they had a terrible car accident and they almost died. So my dad, my mom was flew by helicopter to the nearest hospital and my dad was uh, carried by ambulance to another hospital. So my mom was in intensive care for 21 days. She had wow. terrible injury, internal and external. And uh, that day, I remember coming back home, my grandma crying because she was an alphabet. So she wasn't able to write, read. She was very good at knowing money, though. I can tell yeah. you that. Yeah. Uh, she will understand money like crazy. Uh, but uh, my neighbor was there, my grandma was crying, and she wasn't able to speak. She didn't know what to say. Oh, yeah, your mom and dad uh, had a car accident, so everybody was crying. And I felt I was eight years old, and I felt uh, the day after I felt like uh, a wave of energy coming through me, and, uh, and I just transformed into an adult. That's what I feel. Huh. Huh. I felt like, okay, now I need to put my pants on. And started being the head on the house, you know. And I remember that day, uh, I got a screwdriver, I started fixing the the doors of a cabinet uh, and stuff like that. That that's a really 
clear memory that I have of me doing that. Wow. Eight years old, yeah. And since then, you know, all the struggles that my family went through, I said, okay, I want to treat my wife as a princess. I will never tell her off. I will never hit her. I will never abuse her verbally. I will try to provide as much as I can to them. Uh, yeah. I will make sure they make it everything they want. Uh, which then when you become a parent, you understand your kids don't need to have everything they want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, they won't be hungry. <laughs> because if yeah. you have everything, yeah. you have no uh, dreams, no ambition, nothing, no no, no spark that drives you to, yeah. to a, no drive, exactly right. Yeah, Thanks yeah, for yeah. helping me. Yeah. I think that was the moment that forged my life. Wow. Yeah. So, what what was the recovery period for them? Like, oh, my they... mom recovered in. So, my mom went out of uh, intensive care after twenty one days, and then she spent I can't remember exactly either one month or three months in rehabilitation. Yeah. And uh, I think uh, it was she she broke all her ribs. She. Mm crushed three vertebrae, she perforated her intestine, she destroyed her liver, and they had to stitch it up together. Uh, she had major injuries, yeah. But she recovered, and two years later, she had a baby, my youngest brother, who's 10 wow. years younger than me. Yeah. yeah, and they call him with the name Manuel Antonio, so Anthony, like Saint Anthony. Because she wow. believes that even though there was a big uh, negative situation, the miracle was that she made it out alive. Yeah. And my mom is very resilient. She's always been a great example for me of work ethic, dedication, resilience. That's why I have a dream to be able to, to become wealthy, to buy her a house so at least she can spend the last few years of her life without worrying about anything. Yeah, yeah. Well, what a gift to give to your mum. What uh, well, I, I love that, from, yeah, I love that from your mum. By the way, like that, like to me, when those moments, it, it does feel like there, there's something, some sort of higher power that that yeah. gets us through, even through these really difficult times. So, so what about your dad? Like, like my dad went uh, in another hospital. He broke his sternum, and he's growing. He couldn't walk, but apparently, the story is that he climbed out of the windscreen that was crushed. <laughs> Yeah. And he climbed up a little steep hill, went on the road, and waved at the drivers on the highway to stop by. And then two wow. bodybuilders from Germany stopped, and behind wow. them there was a, bo- a hospital volunteer, I think. And she went down and checked my mom, called the ambulance, called the, and the ambulance called the helicopter because she was – there was petrol dripping on her and she was stuck in the oh. car so they oh. had to get it out and she was unconscious so she couldn't do anything and i remember she had the most beautiful dress that day on a beautiful uh, onesie green and i yeah. remember like it was yesterday yeah and of yeah, course they wow. had to rip they had to rip her apart to be able to to get access to her organs and stuff yeah mm. um that just to me that just highlights your work ethic, right, and your determination. Is like that's your, what your dad was prepared to do for his wife. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, yeah probably. You know, it was a. Yeah. I think it was a big turn in my life. Yeah, it motivated yeah. me to do something for my family in the future. 
Yeah, right. So, so that drive to be, you know, to step up and be the man, like mm-hmm. that, obviously didn't lessen when when your dad came back home. No way. So, no way. so did did you then? Obviously, you, you wanted to. Do I was more still than, a, I was still a kid, so but I remember my first job I did. I was ten years old. I was delivering newspaper. I was trying to make money as soon as I could. I was trying to go and help in the church, cleaning with my grandma and my auntie yeah. on Saturday. Yeah. I was yeah. serving in church because uh, I, w- I was raised Catholic, Catholic, and uh, so I was serving in church as an altar boy. Uh, that's how I think how they say here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then I discovered that I wanted to go into culinary school. That you can get paid straight away. So I was trying to do anything. And then I started becoming... Uh, during my cooking school, I would work on weekends, go back to school on Monday to Friday, go work Friday night, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, I wish I had some financial wisdom at that time. I would be a billionaire already, you know. But no, I, I wasted everything, everything. Yeah. Wasted everything yeah. on fun, uh, clothes, shoes. Yeah. I, I was going to ask that because you mentioned your dad's gambling and, and yeah. what I found is that uh, that addictive personality tends to, to be passed on so so was that the addiction was going out and and dressing nice and that sort of thing not really that was more because my family wasn't wealthy i wasn't able to have what everybody else had when i was younger so i just had opportunity to buy by myself i was a smoker though for about uh from 13 to 21 and then i stopped uh and then I smoked again for a bit here in Australia when I arrived. Uh, but that's it. Yeah, that was my mm-hmm. only addiction. Yeah. I, I did, unfortunately, hospitality surrounded by drugs and alcohol. So I went into that hole as well. But uh, I've never been a person that wasn't uh, mentally aware enough to fail to become a drug addict or an alcohol addict. Yeah, I drink a glass of wine here and there, but I don't drink to get drunk. I don't leave mm-hmm. Monday to Friday to get drunk on Saturday. I wouldn't yeah. be able to work seven days a week. Yeah, I think yeah. I'm a workaholic now. That's what I think I am. If that can be considered an addiction. But I do it because I have dreams. I do it because I love working. I love helping others. I love mentoring. I love teaching what I know. I live with the belief that we know what we know because other people before us had the courage, the balls, and the wisdom to teach it. Yeah, and I, and I would, yeah, and I would say that rather than that being addiction, is that that's because you've got that drive and you've got a sense of purpose that that yes. you've got, and you like you mentioned big dreams. Like to me, when you start dreaming big, it's like it doesn't even feel like work, right? Yeah, and I think during the fast the drive yeah. and the sense of purpose increased even more. Like I yeah. realized, you know, I realized why, uh, why I was here. I need to give what I have. Mm, and there are good. probably multiple, there are probably multiple avenues that you discover along your life. Life is not just one life. We live multiple lives within the same life. Yeah. And every, every decade is different from the decade before. And I love the saying that we overestimate what we can achieve in a year and we underestimate what we can achieve in 10 years. So that's always in the back of my mind to be patient, the small steps consistently forward, progressing. And I tell to my apprentices, 
you need to focus on improving 1% a day. No more. 1% yeah. a day. Yeah. No business has grown 365% a year. It's very difficult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, oh, I completely lost my train of thought, but it'll come back to me. Um, so I'm fascinated by, so you said you were, you were very much driven by money. Yes. And, but at that young age, did you just have a gift for flavor? What was it that made you get so very good so very quickly? I don't know. I don't know. I always found, find that if I'm interested by something, I dive deep into it. And by diving into something, you usually do more than anybody else in that. Because, yeah. yes, I, so I will read, I will watch TV show, I will ask, ask, ask. I've always been a chef that asked so many questions. I remember how my head chef hated me for how many questions <laughs> I would ask. Yeah. Because I would challenge them, you know. I might ask questions they, they didn't have an answer to. And we had to look for together. Uh, but, yes, that was my main skills, I believe. Stealing with my eyes, we say in Italy, that's translated letter by letter, you know, stealing with your eyes, techniques, yeah. ideas. Yeah. Yeah. And the flavor, for what concerns flavor, flavor, to be able to learn and match flavors, you need to taste flavors, mm. right? And then your brain, your mind will remember every single flavor. And without even tasting it, you will be able to taste it in your mouth and match it with other ingredients. It's all memory sensory. Sensor, sensory memory? Yeah. Wow. Um, I remember what I was going to say before, which I'll come back to, because I wanted to touch on something then. If you've got this incredible memory yes. and that power of the mind, yeah, are there also like – negative memories that come flooding back. So you talked about the accident with your parents. Is there part yeah. of that so etched in your memory, the phone call, the realisation, and like it sounded like it with your description? Well, definitely you have memories. You, I think we choose which memory to hold on to. Yeah. Uh, either for drive, either for pain, because, you know, we want to feel different egos in our life. So mm -hmm. we want to feel emotion, we may try and reach out for a sad moment. When we want to feel euphoric, we try and reach out for a good euphoric memory. And, and depends, I believe, depends from your state of being right now, what kind of memory you can reach into your mind. Uh, I, I, during my, from 2016 until now, now it's been seven years that I've been on this journey. I've always trained myself. I've been training myself every day as soon as I have a negative thought to analyze it, but then understanding, becoming aware that I'm thinking I can choose what to think now. I'm aware that I wasn't thinking something positive. I need to shift into a positive mindset. And that's what I've learned in these seven years, to try and always stay in a positive mindset, positive mental attitude, as Napoleon Hill wrote in his books. And that was, look, I, I'm a very positive person. I try to give positive advice to everybody. I try to, if they are in a bad mood, I try to let them understand, okay, you are in a bad mood. But what can we do now to shift into something positive? You know, you're just learning, for example, this. You can't put yourself down. 
It's a journey that everybody needs to go through. Practice will make it perfect. It's a saying because of a reason. There's a reason if it's a saying. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. I think uh, memories are like that. Yeah, I love that how you describe that as we access the memory that we want depending on on what we're trying to access in terms of a feeling. That's so true. Absolutely. Yeah. And and to me, my thought goes there is that I smell different flavors. Like I can – I'll smell something that reminds me of being at my grandma's place and, mm-hmm. and it's usually food-related and straight oh, away I'll be transported back there. Mm-hmm. So, so with your bread now, right? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Bless you. Sorry, the dog's just sneezing. <laughs> what are you smelling? <laughs> you okay now? Wow, haven't had that before. Um, with the sourdough, yeah. Like, does does the smell? Is there a connection there to something from your past? Does that smell take you back to where you where you were born? Well, I don't know. I don't know. I believe in. Uh, previous lives okay and yeah, uh, in one of my meditation meditation session in 2016 2017 while i was fasting i remember one instance when i believe i saw myself in a field of wheat dressed as a farmer with a wheat hat yeah and uh, a wheat stalk in my mouth and I remember myself in another instance, seeing myself in the probably 18th century, you know, old England, where people were wearing those long black coats with the high necks and a hood. Yeah. So I remember, I remember exactly this scene, me sneaking into this small street of England with rain, with those subtle flame lights, yeah. you know, slightly twinking. And me trying to hide from something. So I remember mm. that instance, and then I remember myself in a completely different meditation session, being a farmer of wheat. And then thinking now, my grandfather was a baker. You know, I carry his name, his DNA, his last name. I don't know. Sometimes I think maybe I mean, you know, maybe you know, reincarn- he reincarnated into me. Say that last bit again, sorry. Sometimes I feel like my grandfather reincarnated yeah. into me. Mm, interesting. Because I'm such Ooh. a baker, it feels like I, you know, never, like, it's, it's insane how quick I've learned baking. Mm. How quick I've learned food. Yeah. And, and you see, the, oh, I saw a video the other day, 18-month-year-old. He was getting held up by his father and he was playing piano like most adults can't play. Yeah. And he knew exactly what he was doing. And it's like, how how is that even possible, right? I've and, got uh, Shiva's number now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's like how much comes through the, the past memories. And and again, I've had those experiences as well around around those memories that don't don't make any sense. And the the, the, the sort of thought that I got when you were saying that is like the person who was hiding. Had they mm. stolen bread? You know what I mean. Like, <laughs> who knows? Uh, who knows? Yeah, but uh, yeah, really fascinating. Mm-hmm. But but you're so right. Like, how is it there are some things that we just do, and there's no explanation why we we have exactly. It, it's not just 
expertise. It's like it's like hmm. I tell when I teach sourdough in my classes, hmm. or I used to teach cooking to other people. I always try to teach them for first principle. I didn't want them to be robots. I wanted them to understand. To uh, the part, the the example that I do, it's often. I don't want you to learn the recipe. I want you to become the recipe. Mm, that's good. Yes. So, uh, by becoming so the recipe, you can replicate multiple times by changing just the factors of the recipe. If you instead only follow the recipe, you will never understand why every single element is there and for what purpose are they. So I give this piece of the, um, how do you say, experience that happened to me. So we're working mm. in Victoria in these two hat restaurants, and we were making caramel ice cream. Very simple. Yep. yep. For an apple dish at that time. And uh, the ice cream was always inconsistent because every time we did the caramel, we had to pour boiling cream into it. So what happens yep. with the caramel being 150 degrees and the, and the cream being 100 degrees, it will evaporate very quickly. And then we will have to reach a different temperature. It's very hard and technical to understand. But for example, there were too many elements that we couldn't control perfectly. Yep. So I said, okay, so ice cream is made from sugar, eggs, milk, and cream. Basically, this is a basic recipe. We know other yep. components. Now I need to turn that sugar into caramel and be able to use it. So what, I, what came to my mind was, what if I do a dry caramel, which is just making caramel in a pan? Hmm. And then when the caramel cools down, it becomes hard. Yeah. So I blend it and I use that as the sugar. So I can have a consistent weight of caramel. Because I can control the temperature of the caramel, I can blast chill it in the blast chill every time, the same temperature. I won't have every, any fluctuation on how much sugar I have. So we applied that method to the ice cream and the ice cream was always consistent. But now that process has opened my mind to unlock other other things that are similar. But there's yeah. sugar, for example, the caramel dried sugar has been used in multiple recipes. We wanted to make a caramel cake, we use yep. the sugar. Yep. You want to make caramel punch, we use the sugar. It was wow. already there. So the different ingredients. Yeah. So your mind is always like like you described before, always curious, always questioning. Is there yes. a better way that we can do this? Absolutely. To bring to bring consistency. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, that's so good. You mentioned something before. That was the bit that where I lost my train of thought. And you talked about yeah. we have different we have different lives within our one life. And yes, I think this is a really great point to, to discuss because this is the thing that people don't talk about grief, right? Grief shows up in, in daily moments, mm-hmm. like an mm-hmm. old part of us dies. When we, when we have one of those profound moments of learning, when we go, oh, oh that makes sense now. When we have mm-hmm. that, when we talked about the knowing, suddenly we yes. know something that was just completely outside of our consciousness. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, this changes everything. And then we have to go through a mini grieving process as we let go of that old person with that belief and coming out the other side. I imagine for you, since you've been through that fasting and like you said, that led you to more of the personal development and more research, you've had many, like many of these mini 
deaths before over the time. Absolutely. Yes. I had many deaths. Yeah. So, I, was, I, I, I am born many times. Yeah. yeah. So how do you get yourself through the, there's that moment where you learn and then you have that sort of come, that come down moment where, you, where that's that mini grief, right? Like how do you yeah. get yourself through those times? Well, usually when I am, wake up into a different life let's say it's yeah. always through pain it could mm. be physical pain or it could be emotional pain for example the last wake up was in february when i broke up with my ex-girlfriend and uh, and for me it was the woman of my life i was believing okay she's the one she's the last one and um yes yeah, so i was hurt that's when I started yeah. discovering books on masculinity, on relationship, but also that upsetness, the the sadness, made me divert that pain, made me transform that pain into drive again, to become fit again, to go to the gym and to build my business. So within two weeks. I lost five kilos because I started fasting again. And my business grew 400%. Hmm. Yes. Just wow. by applying the carrying time on a different thing. So I understood a few things. I understood that, okay, is Ray Dalio. I don't know if you know him. I don't know if you've read his book, Principles. No. Wonderful book. Uh, but the analogy, the basic analogy of the book is that life is a series of cycles that keep repeating itself themselves. And that happens in many paths of life and many topics, culturally, politically, economically, and personally. These are the main topics that the book talks about. But let's understand that life is a cycle. So let's say happiness Sadness, happiness, sadness, happiness, sadness. It's a, it's on a parable. You go up and down, up and down, up and down. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the same pain moment might repeat itself under different circumstances multiple times in your life. Yeah. And what he says, it's a very simple thing that you need to tell yourself. It's just another one of those. Yeah. Understanding that. This shall pass too. Either yeah. good or either bad, this shall yes. pass too. Love it. It's not going to be good every day. It's not going to be bad every day. The sun always rises the day after. After dark, there's always light. After rain, there's always dry. Uh, I think universe exactly explains how life is. The more balance you can keep in your life, the less happiness and the less, sad the less sadness you will feel. If you want to feel more happy, you need to feel more sadness. It's very simple. Yeah. If instead, if you're trying to live on the line in the middle, you won't experience any of these emotions, but you'll be a, you will have a very boring life. Yeah. And the part I would add to that would be your experience the last seven years, the ups and downs are happening not in a an average that ends up the same level. They're actually on an no. upward trajectory. So the downs – 
you have the tools to be able to get out the other side. It's it's not so much a down, it's almost like a plateau, right? But it's always surprising. You never expect it. And you're always at a lot of pain. You never expect it. Yeah. It comes suddenly and you are not ready to be aware of it. You're not ready to be aware that this shall pass too. Not ready consciously, but absolutely yes. ready, ready for the next level. Absolutely, because you know, but you don't want to accept it because you don't believe you deserve it to go oh, through so much pain. That's good. Very good. Oh, love it. Now, you're a busy man, so I appreciate the time that you've given so far uh, for it's sharing. Okay. I still have another 15 minutes if you want. Yeah. But, uh, yes, but, it's but I also I want to get to you sharing more about what you do now. Yes. So sharing about that, where people can find you, because I know you're working for a bakery, but the, I can already see, right, that there's a dream yeah. for this sourdough that you've created. You're, you're, you're teaching other people the skills yeah. so they can create their own as well. So Absolutely. So how – tell us about, firstly, the, the transition – from being a chef to sourdough and then what's the the vision for the future of of your business yeah so basically i've been in contact with sourdough probably in my very very young age every time my family would take me to naples in italy because that's where they are from from the south of italy and sourdough is a it's the only bread you find there in the good bakery so i grew up with that but i wasn't aware of it I didn't know what it was. I just thought there was sour bread. Tastes sour. It's delicious. My grandma loves it. She has it in a milk supernight. Everybody loves it. Must be good. And yeah. I grew up and I ended up working in Rome, in the capital, in a Michelin star restaurant, in a very luxurious hotel, in one of the highest places in town, Via Veneto, which is uh, called La Dolce Vita, the sweet life the location and um the head chef was i actually has my used to have is dead now my same name giuseppe sestito uh he's his soul amazing man i've learned so much from him uh he was feeding this baby on the bench growing and deflating growing and deflating and he will take so much care of that he will get upset if somebody will mistreat it and by mistreated i mean putting in the wrong spot non-feeding at the right time no barking at the right time because that's exactly the procedure that you know that you need to go through by feeding a sourdough culture. You need to bath it. If you use a solid yeah. one, you need to feed it. And then you need to put yeah. it in the fridge to sleep. And then you yes. wake up in the morning and then you make bread. Basically, this is a very fast way of explaining the concept. <laughs> yeah. And I got fascinated by it and I asked him, how do you make it? And he said, oh, you just blend an apple, mix some flour, some water, ferment it, and then you have your culture. I said, okay. So uh, the first chance that I had when I when uh, back home working in my hometown, Trieste, I started making this sourdough and it worked. It took me longer to understand it. So in every restaurant that I worked in until 2018, I always baked sourdough. But there's a but. I was yeah. cheating because <laughs> I was always putting yeast in it because it will never work just the sourdough because right. I didn't have the knowledge necessary to understand it God. i had a passion i had a few skills but not enough knowledge about the natural fermentation and in 2018 
uh, I decided uh, I was done with cooking. I couldn't handle anymore. My family life was breaking down. My ex-wife was getting upset. I was getting upset. I, was, I lost motivation to become one of the best chefs in the world because that was my drive at the time. I believed that I had the potential because of all the skills that I acquired for all the mental ability of finding things, of, of uh, unlocking boxes of food in my mind. Yeah. And, uh, and somebody gave me the opportunity to go and work in a baker in a supermarket that was based on a wood oven and they were making sour. I said, yes. I don't care how much money is, so I lost the 25 grand that year just to go and work there, from, I think from yeah. 85 to 60, uh, or 75 to 60. 75 to 60, and I didn't care. I just wanted to do what I love, which was making bread, and yeah. I was the happiest man in the world. I did that for two years, and then I was so good in that little corner, the, the, the person that was running it left, so I took over and started growing. So I grew the little corner of the supermarket at 625% in two years. Whoa. Yeah, so we started at $1,500 a week to $7,200, dollars a week. Whoa. And, and there was just, yeah, and there was just trying to understand, okay, people go to a supermarket to buy one loaf of bread. If I keep making different breads, they're not going to buy two because they're still buying one. Yeah. So, okay, let's do basic bread. I need to upsell something. So I started developing granola. I started developing different lucas. I started matching it with olive oil. So I have full, how do you say? Autonomy. I had the ability, yeah, autonomy of what to put in front of my section. And, and, and that's what I did. I introduced gluten-free product, gluten-free Italian flour. I asked the supplier to put flour under there, so I explained to customers which one is the best for what. Uh, and then I split up with my ex. I was running out of money, and because I learned how to do sourdough, I read this book that was saying, if you do, you earn more by teaching what you know than by doing what you know. Mm. So I said, okay, let me try this. So I put a class on Eventbrite without any content ready, without nothing. <laughs> yeah. I said, if I, and I read this book from uh, Cardone. Hey, Grant Cardone, yeah. Yeah, Grant Cardone, 10X yeah. rule that says, commit first, figure out later. <laughs> yeah. I did that. So I put the masterclass on. I had one week to produce the material. Uh, and to make the physical class because I was running in a school and people would come and meet me. It wasn't online. So yeah. I, I charged $50. I had three people the first class. I had six people the second one. And then I said, okay, let me do something clever. If I give a little voucher to the person they come and tell them, you can come to the next come, you can come for free to the next class if you bring another person. They did that. So 12 person came the next one. And then the next one, 15 came and they all paid. So I started making 400, 600, 700 dollars in two hours. And I said, holy crap, this really works. It's my <laughs> weekly wage in two hours. Yeah. Uh, of course, there are some expenses, you know, the rent, the, the hire of the school, the flower, the material. And then I started increasing my value package. So I would do nibbles and coffee. I would do some, uh, I would write some booklets. Uh, I would give some tools. I've started increasing until I reached the point to sell my masterclass now privately for $650. 
for two hours awesome. for one person. Awesome. Yeah, so every person that contacts me, I increase the, the fee. And uh, I'm always very upset when people don't negotiate because mm. I feel like, uh, well, I should have asked you more. Yeah, but so, uh, from my experience is that when the price is perfectly aligned for you and for them, then yeah. that's how it should be, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. It should be aligned for them. Yes. But then, of course, every time I go and I do these private masterclasses, I do everything I got because they're not just learning sourdough. They're no. learning exactly everything that I've experienced in my own life. 100%. Translated and transported into a loaf of bread. Oh, so good. So good. And that's it, isn't it? Yeah. You're, you're, yeah. you're not just passing on how to make bread. It's, it's everything yeah. you've learned, particularly, well, in those early years when you, when you had that first big moment with your parents' accident, yeah. but also since 2016 where you've just immersed yourself in, in personal development and growth yes. in research and learning and, and reading. Uh, amazing. Mm -hmm. I love that. Now, I have uh, a couple of friends in in South Australia, so I'm going to have to come out there and I'm going to have to Absolutely, come. Absolutely, man. We, we know, need to go know. and have a, I don't know, have a drink or a pizza or a coffee or something. And some sourdough. Absolutely. <laughs> well, that, that was already. There's always the first life for free. First life is free for everybody around the world. I don't care. I will ship it to you. <laughs> I love it. On my love own it. Cost. Yeah, because I ship to Queensland, I ship to New South Wales, and I ship to yeah, Melbourne yeah. because yeah. the bread can be delivered in 24 to 48 hours in these three states. But I can't ship to Perth right now because it would take five, six days even with express shipping. Yeah, right. So you asked me before what's the idea of my future. Yes. So, of course, I'm working in a garage right now. It's behind me. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. I've been lucky enough to have found this landlord that was building a little kitchenette in a garage for a tenant. And I said, I'll take it. And he helped me, you know, building a bit. And I purchased the ovens with the help of other people, some loans. Uh, now I've hired one from Brisbane to do the croissant, some pastries, stuff like that. And the end goal is to be able to provide bread a very the the lowest cost possible because at the end it's the oldest food that people could afford and i find yeah. it very unfair that people are charging ten dollars for a loaf of bread even though it could be justified from some point of view you know technical skills time cost of grains cost of distribution and so on but if you use local you know distributors local producers everything yeah. can be minimized and i i struggle to sell a loaf of bread at 10 bucks personally it hurts me because bread is the most popular most poor item that people can put on the table you can feed a family you know oh goosebumps uh, yeah. and uh, i really want to be able to provide for a large numbers of people in south australia one day maybe in all australia and maybe give the possibility to develop a franchise system in the future where people get that a lot of sourdough, but did they, they had the same struggle that I had. They didn't know money. I started this business with zero dollars, doing a divorce, yeah. three children, working full time. So, and this year I'll probably be turning, uh, yeah, turning around $120,000 for the first year. 
So I'm very proud of that. And uh, awesome. well done. there will be very little profit probably, maybe zero, but I don't care. It's about branding now. It's about giving the best yeah. product that I can. And every yeah. single day I learn something different. I might learn about, you know, invoicing. I might learn about baking. I might learn about pastry. I might learn about communicating. There's always something different that I can be able to share with someone else in the future. So this is my journey. And uh, I would love to have cameras in my bakery where I can shoot 24-7 videos that yeah. people can go, just go there on YouTube and watch it and learn how to bake their own loaf. Because that's what I care as well. If you're happy to pay, come and buy it. But if you're happy to learn and spend only 25 cents to make a loaf of bread, do that and learn it on my YouTube channel. Love Get it. both opportunity. When people contact me to do master classes, for example, I tell them, I ask them what they want, why they want to learn. I don't sell straight away. Ask them what they want, why they want it. They said, oh, I'm very, uh, I've tasted your bread. It tasted really good. I would like to learn how to make it. Perfect. Have you seen my YouTube channel? Because you can learn there for free. Uh, on your own time, you can watch the videos multiple times and so on. And they say, no, no, I would really like to work with you and see how you do it with your hands. And mm -hmm. at that point, of course, I try to do the sale pitch where I tell them, I usually go to people houses where I can actually analyze their oven and tell you what's the best way for you to bake and be successful with the tools yeah. and equipment that you have already without purchasing anything else. So, okay. and then of course I give a copy of my book, I give a copy of my booklets, some tools then necessary for, for baking and we go from there. But it would be nice for 24 seven cameras where people can watch the bakers, the staff, the service, the quality, the ingredients, but the end, end, end goal will be able to have a meal, you know, maybe some land where I can grow my own grains, maybe collaborate with some Aboriginal people and trying to integrate some uh, native grains to put a flag oh, in yeah. Australia for the best bread, you know, oh, a flagship for sourdough. That's wow. my end goal, yeah. I love that. And and what, what you just described there, it's like it's seeded with your past, your upbringing from all of the yeah. masters that you've learned from and then bring in the local culture as well. Like you talked about yes. using local suppliers and, and local distributors and it's like that to me that's when, when I think about Italy, that's what I think of, right, is that, Absolutely. that sense, sense of community. And mm -hmm. uh, I love how you've incorporated all of that into the vision. That is magic, magic. Thank you. Thank you. And the Just more people you... know it, the more it will be possible. That's how it works. Visualization. The more we visualize it, the more this yeah. one will happen for true. 100%. Uh, thank you so much, Giuseppe, for, for giving me this time and, and for the listeners. Uh, it's not quite what I thought I was going to get, but there's just so much value and knowledge in that. And also I'm now really hungry and can't wait to get over there and visit you <laughs> and, uh, and sample some, some sourdough straight out of the oven. I'll be very happy to send your life by mail if you send me your address on a messenger. And thank you Good so day. much for having me. It's been a wonderful conversation. I have to say you are one of the best listeners I had. I had a few people interviewing me. And I really enjoyed the conversation. You're doing a very good job. Thank you, Ian. I, I appreciate you saying that. Oh, and there was one other thing I wrote down. Are, are you, uh, you mentioned Naples. Are you, are you a Napoli fan? Napoli? No, I'm AC Milan. Oh, okay. Yeah, my so, dad is Napoli. I remember I had a, a three years old, my dad tried to put on me the Maradona t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. So I have yeah. a photo of myself somewhere 
next to my dad with a Maradona t-shirt with my foot on the ball. But no, it didn't go into my Very blood, cool. unfortunately. AC Milan, Van Basten and all those. Yeah, well, me too. Van, Van Basten, still my yeah. favourite player of all time. Yeah. So good. But yeah. I, I love soccer. Pick... I love football. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I wish I was a good player. <laughs> well, <laughs> am I am I being too too stereotypical to say that you're Italian? You're probably you're probably better than you think you are. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I know you know Dolce e Gabbana, the brand, yeah, yeah. fashion yeah, brand. Yeah. yeah, they made a T-shirt many years ago when they wrote Italians do it better. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave I just, that. I just end it on the note. <laughs> well played. Thank you again, mate. I appreciate it. Thank you. Have a wonderful day, Thank everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grief Code podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please share it with a friend or family member that you know would benefit from hearing it too. If you are truly ready to heal your unresolved or unknown grief, let's chat. Email me at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com. You can also stay connected with me by joining the Grief Code community at ianhawkinscoaching.com forward slash the grief code. And remember, so that I can help even more people to heal, please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.